Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Time for Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by Omar Ruiz of the NFL Network. As we'll get Omar's takes from around the National Football League with some trade rumors, latest on free agency, reaction to the NFL schedule that was released, and more coming up when Omar joins us in just a little while from right now. Plus, we'll have Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group with the latest happenings not only in the NFL, but in college football as well with a conference realignment talk. Also, uh, the NCAA college football game making its return from EA Sports. Also on the XFL and USFL, how that looks. We'll have Tom Fullery coming up at the end of today's show as well. Uh, plenty to, to get to today. No shortage of topics. As you could imagine, uh, we have plenty on the NBA side that uh, I want to get to in regards to Ja Morant and the NBA draft lottery. And, oh, yeah, the NBA playoffs are going on, too. Well, uh, we'll get to that. But I, I want to start off today uh, just on a, on a more serious note than we, we typically do. We, we we enjoy ourselves here and have a lighthearted show, and we'll have our lighthearted moments here uh, on today's show for sure. But um, just want to take a moment, uh, just talk about something uh, kind of personal here. You know, last week uh went home, spent Mother's Day uh, with my family, and went and saw Live Golf uh, for the first time and had a great time at that there in Tulsa. And that was fun, but uh, I got to make another return visit uh, back home to Tulsa this weekend um, as uh, we're going to be remembering my uh, my uncle Jason who passed away, my dad's younger brother. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say this, you know, you one of those things, you know, when, when life comes at you fast like that, when uh, you lose a family member, you start to think about perspective and the things that, you know, matter more, the important things. and. And, you know, somebody like that that was younger than my dad and everything, you know, kind of makes you take a step back, you know, reminds you, you know, that not every day is, uh, you know, a given that none of us are guaranteed tomorrow and you're thankful for the times ahead. But, uh, you know, I, I look back and, you know, my, my uncle, he was he was a big Oklahoma State Cowboy fan. And he was a big NASCAR fan, too. He was his favorite driver. Uh, real NASCAR fans will know this guy, uh, David Rudiman, who drove uh, the Aaron's Dream Machine for Michael Waltrip Racing. And uh, that, that'll show you how, how much of a diehard fan he was. But the, the thing about Jason and how I reel, reel this back to this show is, you know, sports for him, he watched every opportunity he could get. And he enjoyed just – just watching the game, being around it, going to sporting events. And, you know, he, he he had his struggles and he had his problems from time to time. But his passion for his teams and passion for the game never wavered, never changed. And and, and that's what I look at. You know, we, we have a lot of we have a lot of controversies, a lot of a lot of issues uh going on in the sports world. The sports reflects life and the ups and downs that we see in, in life from time to time. But but the thing with with my uncle uh, that you know him just being the passionate sports fan that he was uh, for me it was the perspective you know he he never worked in sports either wasn't like that was his living of some sorts but 
you know, was just a, a fan and enjoyed the game. And, and, and to him, it wasn't a job, you know, it was about the passion, the competitiveness, supporting his Oklahoma state Cowboys, watching NASCAR, those things. Um, you know, the last, you know, interaction we had, you know, he was, you know, uh, you know, shared my, uh, my interview with Frankie Muna as a Talladega on Facebook from just a couple of weeks ago before ultimately he passed. And, what I say all this to say is one of the things I heard about, like Pat McAfee making this move uh, to ESPN and what he wants to do with with uh, his career and going forward in this next chapter is, you know, just celebrate sports as is. Uh, of look at the at the good sides, have the honest conversations, but this whole embrace debate era and. In uh, all that, it it doesn't need to be this way. That we can sit here and we can have the good conversations. That we can enjoy life and enjoy sports. And my uncle Jason, who passed, I mean, sure, Oklahoma State put him through some tough times, especially against those Oklahoma Sooners over the years. But Jason enjoyed being around the game and just being entertained by the sports world. And I think sometimes we take this thing so seriously. And, and we forget the joys that are around the sport, sports world as a whole. And that's what my uncle, uh, you know, was, was passionate about and enjoyed and, and cared about was was just living life and just enjoying uh, what these athletes were doing and what they were putting on display and celebrating the sports world. And so as I go about and I do this show and the work I do with Chat Sports and other companies, you know, that I work with and such, you know, I'm reminded I want to enjoy the sports world for what it is and the things that are going on beyond just uh, treating this like a job or anything like that. You know, I've seen, you know, people in the past where they worked in sports and, you know, when they got home from their their job in the sports world, they didn't want to be around it. They didn't want to watch it on TV or anything because it was a job to them. They wanted to get away. And while I get that to an extent, like, there's got to be part of us that still is passionate and just enjoys the game. And, and that's what my uncle was. And that's what I, I need to remind myself, continue to strive to be is that this is, this is for entertainment. You know, this is, um, this is supposed to be fun. We're supposed to celebrate and have a good time. And sure. There might be ups and downs as a sports fan, but at the end of the day, it's not that serious. It, these are games. This is meant to, you know, bring joy to us and, and and all that and that's how i want to be a sports fan be grateful for it all and just soak it all in and and that's what i want to continue to do and be going forward it is it is happy that we have these opportunities we've seen a world without sports in uh in covid and that was not fun and you know well sometimes our teams can make us miserable and and be frustrated and such. At the end of the day, just the fact that we have it, that we get to enjoy it and be a part of it, uh, that's what it's all about uh, at the end of the day is, you know, the highs and lows, the ups and downs. It's all worth celebrating and and just enjoying and, and taking it all in as far as I'm concerned. So I know that's kind of a different way, a different note to start today's show. Um, but, you know, I love my uncle. I miss him. And – I just think about how how positive he was that he just enjoyed every moment. That's a good life lesson here, you know, and just approach that sports world of just enjoying the uh, the moments that are ahead of us and 
as far as that goes to that extent. So with that, uh, we'll move on and uh, we'll shift to the NBA side of things here. And uh, I want to start with the conference finals where things stand right now. Let's begin with the Western Conference with the uh, Nuggets leading the Lakers 1-0 in that series with a 132-126 win in game number one uh, on Tuesday night. Game number two coming uh, tonight, this Thursday, at uh, 8.30 Eastern, 5.30 Pacific, with uh, Denver leading that series, as we've mentioned. And, you know, we we talk so much uh, about LeBron and his legacy and Anthony Davis, even to an extent of, you know, what this all means for these guys and, you know, LeBron and his pursuit to be the greatest that ever was and the goat right up there with, with Michael Jordan. Right. And, you know, if we're talking legacy or anything like that, I felt like the legacy discussion here, as far as who this series means the most to or something is is Jokic here, the Joker. Um, you know, the Joker won two straight MVPs, took a lot of heat for the the lack of playoff success over the last couple of seasons of not being able to get through and get to the promised land and, and get that championship ring. And you look at the Denver Nuggets. They have been arguably the best team in the NBA this season, definitely the best team in the Western Conference. Jokic was second in the MVP race to Joel Embiid. And, you know, there was a whole thing that went on with uh, Joel and, you know, compared to Jokic. And there was a race element that, that you know, was brought up in the MVP discussions and everything. And ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, Embiid ended up winning the MVP. But here's the Joker now. And what we saw in the past was when it come playoff, came playoff time, he folded. He, he did not step up to the plate. He did not do what he needed to do to get the job done. Game one, I saw a different version of the Joker. Those opening eight, ten minutes were some of the best basketball he's played his entire career. He, he had a double-double within seconds, it seemed. He was fantastic. And, and we saw him put up 34 points and uh, you know just play so good there for the the Denver Nuggets and it certainly helps having Jamal Murray playing at a high level and and everything that comes with that uh for this Denver Nuggets team but I feel like if you want to talk about a legacy series or something to prove here I feel like a lot is riding on the lines of the Joker here if the Joker can't get it done now when will he ever I mean you're taking on a seven seed Lakers team Granted, they've done an incredible job to get to this point. Credit to the Lakers for getting past the Grizzlies, a two-seed, for getting past uh, the Golden State Warriors in the fashion they did. The The Lakers are, are very well-deserving, and it's a tremendous job for this team to be in this position. Not taking anything away from the Los Angeles Lakers. But you're taking on an older Anthony Davis and LeBron James a seven seed, and you have home court advantage, and arguably one of, if not the best players in the NBA in his prime, in Jokic, along with Jamal Murray here, everything should be going your way. These are the opportunities you cannot pass up on, that you have to capitalize. If we're supposed to take Joker seriously, 
if he wants to take that next step to be included among the all-time greats, these are the series you have to win, and you have to get there to the NBA Finals and, and compete and compete for a championship as far as I'm concerned. So, Joker did his job game one. He looked fantastic, looked apart. They got the win. The Lakers made that interesting there for a little bit, but, uh, you know, especially down the stretch, but the but – the, Nuggets found a way to win. And I know that no one will ever say this out loud or admit it publicly when it comes to LeBron James uh, and Anthony Davis. But I, I feel like even though this is a guy that's trying to trade, you know, chase greatness and be, you know, the best player to ever walk the planet, I honestly feel like this Lakers team is playing with house money here. Nobody expected the Lakers to be in the Western Conference Finals as a seven seed and to be in this position. LeBron at 38 years old, taking on a Nuggets team that is so good that's been the favorites all year long. What do you have to lose if you're the Los Angeles Lakers here? You got better at the trade deadline ever since you moved on from, I hate to say it, from Russell Westbrook and you brought in D'Angelo Russell. This team's been a lot better as a whole. Um, you know, if the Lakers lose here, okay. You know, so what? You had a nice second half of the season, didn't work out. You know, that's kind of – that's that, right? The, all the pressure, I feel, is on the Denver Nuggets here. You took care of business game one. You should win this series. If if all of this goes according to plan, on paper, the Nuggies should win this series in five or six games. I think the Lakers are going to make it tough on them. I doubt that the, the Nuggets win it in five. But all the pressure is on Joker and Murray and company. Let's see what they can do if they can keep this all up here. To me, that's where I'm looking towards. And then, you know, for, for the Lakers end of things, play free, play loose, but they got to stay healthy. We've seen AD deal with the injuries, uh, you know, in this postseason already and all throughout the year. He looked great the other night, and that still wasn't enough to win. AD, LeBron have to play at their high level, and they got to stay healthy if they're going to have a shot in this series. I like the Nuggets to get the job done. Uh, you know, the Nuggets, a lot of people, myself included, picked the Phoenix Suns to beat in the last round. They showed who's boss in that series. Now this is this is put up or shut up time. This is this is for real. This is the I feel like for Joker and the Nuggets, this is their chance. For people that have doubted them, that said, you know, hey, they haven't lived up to expectations. They, they, they've been disappointments in the playoffs over the years. This is their middle finger moment to the rest of, of all those doubters and those haters over the years right now is to get past the Lakers and to get to the NBA Finals from there. We'll see. Nuggets are a little bit better team than the Lakers are, but all the pressure I feel is personally on the Denver Nuggets as far as that goes. We'll see. The other series uh, going on, the Eastern Conference Finals between the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics. Before the series began, uh, Espen put out the percentage chances that the Celtics and the uh, Heat series had of going and gave the Celtics, I believe, about a 97% chance to win the series and the Heat only a 3% chance. And the Heat, kind of like what we talked about with the Lakers. Nothing to prove, right? Eric Spolstra, arguably the 
one of, if not the best coaches in the NBA, gets his team to this point at, at, at an eight seed. He got past the Bucks, And some people said, well, Giannis was hurt, kind of a fluke, whatever. And then they just dominate the New York Knicks in the fashion they did. And now here we are. They win game one on the road. And all they remember, all they had to do was steal, steal one, um, you know, in, in that on the road here. Now they've got home court just like that, the snap of finger here. And Miami is just red hot. They are playing such good team basketball right now. I mean, Jimmy Butler, it, it when I watch Jimmy Butler play, it's the opposite of what I see from Paul George in the postseason. I mean, Paul George, we see him crumble. We say, see him falter in playoff time when it matters. Jimmy Butler goes from zero to 100. He takes things up a notch. He's been fantastic. He had 35 points in that win against the Boston Celtics the other night. Uh, Bam has been awesome and has looked like one of the best centers in basketball. He was 9 of 13 with 20 points in that win. I mean – you know, even Kevin Love had a few moments from time to time. Uh, you know, Lowry, Martin, that, that team plays such good team basketball. And it all goes back to their head coach. I think Spolster has done a terrific job with that team. And watch out. They are clicking. They are all on the same page. You know, Boston, in that loss they had the other night, Jason Tatum still played good. He had 30 points and they lost. Um, you know, you had Jalen Brown with 22, Smart with 13, uh, Williams with 14, Brogdon with 19 as well. I mean, you got some some good pieces there. You shot, you know, 51%. But what I look at, if I'm the Boston Celtics here, the thing that you got to improve is, is that defense. You can't be giving up 123 points at home. I mean, plain and simple. And, and you know, you, you're supposed to have these all-world defenders, right? Like, you know, like Marcus Smart, uh, former defensive player of the year and everything, and, you know, all that in a bag of chips. And your defense looks like it's a bunch of Joey Bag of Donuts out there. And for the Heat to use all their depth to spread out the, the Celtics like they did and just have those good shooting nights, Celtics got to play better defensively. I mean, plain and simple. That was the difference in game one was the, the Heat did everything right and they could not be slowed down. And if you're Boston, I mean, you got to find a way to just figure it out and play better defense than what you did going forward in that series. So Heat, good starts, did everything they needed to do. Good team basketball, got a lot of good guys uh, collectively as a unit. They're well coached. They're doing everything right. Boston, got to get better defensively. Let's see what they can do. Jason Tatum, I have no concerns about. I do wonder about Jalen Brown at times. What Jalen Brown are we going to see step up uh, in some of those moments? But uh, that should be a very fun series, especially with Miami taking game one. Now this series is wide open. We'll see where it goes. But there's a look uh, at the – uh, NBA playoff picture uh, here with the conference finals and where things stand right now. A couple other notes going on in the NBA uh, that I want to touch on here. 
I, I do have some thoughts on, on John Morant. We'll get to momentarily. Uh, I promise. Uh, no need to fear on uh, that front. But what's unfolded with the 76ers and James Harden and, uh, and Joel Embiid in that situation. Joel wins MVP and about everything else has just gone downhill since. Um, you look at how that series finished with Boston. That team just gave up. Um, granted, I know that Doc Rivers is kind of being pointed to as the fall guy. Uh, Doc's been terrible in game sevens historically. I'm not a huge Doc Rivers fan, if we're going to be in all honesty here with the folks out there. Uh, I don't think Doc's that great. I think he's one of the more overrated coaches in the NBA. But when your guys just don't show up when it matters, there's only so much you're, as a head coach you can you can really do. And, and now that this point of conflict, right? So James Harden opts out of his deal after having some really good games in the playoffs. And somebody is going to pay James Harden. Daryl Morey wants to keep James Harden, wants him to stay there. James didn't want to play with Doc Rivers. Joel Embiid wanted to keep Doc Rivers and was upset they got rid of Doc Rivers. Now you got a whole predicament to figure out in this whole situation here. The Sixers are better off with James Harden, whether they admit it or not. They are better off with James Harden, and they've invested a lot, and you can't just replace James Harden like that tomorrow, even if he can frustrate you at times if you're a Sixers fan. Um, and I understand if you're a Sixers fan, you're probably embarrassed to be a Philadelphia 76ers fan right now. But – it's a tough predicament. If you're Daryl Morey right now, of what you're having to figure out <laughs> with that Sixers team, you got to find a way to make the peace in that organization, right? You probably should keep James Harden, I think. Find a way to make that money work to keep him around. But also find a coach that works for both Harden and Embiid. And if you can't keep Harden around, and if you can't keep Embiid happy, maybe you even have to take a step further and blow that whole thing up and trade off Embiid and start over again with the process. That's the reality for the 76ers. That's that's what you're looking at. You got James Harden, and, and he can't be your number one. He can be your number two. I don't think you can let him go. If you are, put it this way, okay? If you are still all in on the process uh, and, and writing it out and and trying to give this another shot for the long term, then you got to bring back James Harden and you got to find a coach that makes both Joel Embiid and James Harden happy, and still improve the roster around them too. If you can't do all of those things, then you basically got to start over again. That's what I think is ahead for the 76ers at this point in time. So uh, we'll see. We'll see exactly uh, what they do. But it is a uh, long road ahead, a lot of uh, to figure out for this uh, the 76ers team on that front. Jabba Rat, where do I even start? 
with John Morant and uh, this situation. Um, I've talked to a lot of people about this the last couple of days. Heard all sorts of opinions, good and bad. Um, people I've agreed with, disagreed with, heard a lot of dumb takes, a lot of smart takes. Uh, but I'm here to tell you, you know, from my honest opinion and, and, and bring this to you exactly how I feel after taking everything all in. And, and let me put this this way. Let's, let's start off with, with the action that happened. Okay. The, the video itself of job Morant of, you know, him with the gun and, you know, he, he's got it on display and everything right. And, and, you know, his buddy tries to move the phone real quick before you could see it. And he's in a car and all that. Um, it's dumb. It's stupid. You know, I, I'm a gun owner. I, I'll admit that, you know, I own a gun, uh, that I keep at home, uh, that's stored away and that it's, for safety, for protection. Uh, I like guns. I'm a gun guy. I'm not I'm, I'm not going to lie about that. I'll be honest with you. Um, but I don't go around showing off my gun in my car and posting videos on social media or anything like that. With that said, does he have the right to do all that? As long as it's legal. Yeah, he has the right to do that in a legal sense. Sure, if, if you know, he lives in Tennessee there in Memphis. Uh, I know that they have looser gun laws than other places. Um, the legal right, the moral right, and, you know, the NBA's bylaws can all be different things. Okay? So, can he do that? Sure. Is it a smart thing to do? Absolutely not. Here, here's where what, what grinds my gears, what bugs me. You have some people... You know, citing the, you know, it's his Second Amendment rights and all that. And that, it is true. It is true that he has the right to do that. I, I am not arguing against that at all. But what I am saying is, of uh, how stupid this is, um, the NBA has their code of conduct. They have their personal conduct policies. He's already sat down with Adam Silver. Adam Silver's already told him everything that he needed to do and, you know, and, and has been over this and has had the incident that's already stacked up in the past. In the NBA, as long as they're fo following their bylaws and have their standards set, they have the right to punish based on their, their bylaws and everything. Now, I'll sit here and say, too, some of the stuff I've seen out there of that, oh, he needs to be suspended a season and, you know, and, and all these things. There's some stuff out there that I think people have been way too hard on job. I, I do think that there have been, there, there is a happy medium of sorts. Okay. This is, I, I'm in the camp of, look, this is not about the First Amendment, but we don't have to straight up cancel the guy. Uh, go cancel culture on him and end his career all over this. You know, if he loses some endorsements, loses some money, that's one thing. But let's not sit here and act like that, you know, John Morant doing this is the end of the world. The guy, he's in his 20s. 
he's made some dumb mistakes. He's clearly not the smartest guy. You know, I, I'm I'm not going to sit here and, and, you know, be rooting for this guy's career to be tarnished and, and to be over here. I hope that he can figure it out, that he can turn around and that he can get it all together. I, I just think it's unfair to be sitting here and, and wanting the worst for this guy, as far as I'm concerned. So First Amendment rights, you know, sure, he can do what he wants, but that doesn't mean that he's, you know, cleared of not being punished and the NBA not taking their action and not having their code of contact. But then I think there's a point where, you know, we can't go too over the top on this either. You know, he didn't hurt anybody as far as we know. Very dumb and all that, but let's not act like he deserves to have his career ended because of some video on on Instagram here. Life goes on. Hopefully he learns from it. Hopefully he changes. And then we go from there. But let's let's not take ourselves way too serious on this. I understand if you're if you're like Michael Wilbon and don't want your kids wearing his shoes and invested money that way. And, and you know, it's a bad look for responsible gun owners that, you know, take care of themselves and stuff like that. I, I get all of that. But let's not end this guy's career over something he's done legally. Punish him, sure. But to try to call for him to be suspended for a year or how dare, you know, like this guy should never play the league again is just ridiculous. There's a happy meeting of some sorts. I think that's a, a fair assessment to say, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, another NBA note that uh, I want to touch on the uh, NBA draft lottery um, finished uh, on a Tuesday night with the San Antonio Spurs getting the uh, number one overall pick and uh, Victor Wimbanyama will be headed to San Antonio uh, with that number one pick. Uh, clearly, the lottery is is rigged, right? Uh, just kidding, but you guys get the idea. Uh, with the Spurs, of course, getting David Robinson, Tim Duncan now, Victor. Um, you know, Popovich is in his 70s now. I don't know how much longer he wants to coach, but I, I think what you could happen – if Pop doesn't want to coach forever, is that Pop could get this team in position in a in in very good shape for the next guy potentially. Um, now, one thing that Pop's going to have to do differently that he struggled the last few years is is uh, dealing with the egos of his stars and making it a good place to be. We saw how things finished with Kawhi Leonard and you know some of these other guys. That's going to have to change in Pop's mindset and, and, and the culture. And, you know, the Olympic team, obviously, recently, even though they didn't win one gold, things were not looking good for how he handled that Olympic team. So Pop, arguably the greatest coach of all time, but he's going to have to do some change in among how he operates that organization, despite all the championships they've had over the years. But Victor... Is going to be great. He's going to be fantastic. We haven't seen a player like him. I mean, you all have seen the highlights of him shooting a three, missing, and going, getting his own rebound, and dunking it. 
You know, that's that's not stuff that happens every day. You heard Woj say that this is the most impressive prospect that we've seen ever in uh, in team sports. I don't know about that. You know, those are his words, not mine. But uh, all the hype there is on Victor. And if you were looking for a situation, you know, between the teams that were out there, Charlotte's been a mess. Houston's been a mess. Detroit's been a mess. You send him to San Antonio, that team's got a good track record. Make San Antonio potentially relevant again. Uh, look out, Spurs. The next era could be upon us. We could see Popovich win uh, a title in four different decades, potentially. Uh, and you guys all know how the NBA works. One player can change your entire roster. I'll be curious how quickly Victor develops, but he he's going to be a force to be reckoned with. He's going to be a problem. So uh, the Spurs, they're going to have all these draft meetings over the next couple months, and the decision's going to be pretty easy for them. They're in good shape with Victor. At two with Charlotte, still not a bad situation. I know that you, you don't get Victor Wimbanyama, but you're going to get Brandon Miller um, with that pick. And I know you had the situation at Alabama and, and and everything that went on there, but, you know, Woj was reporting that teams have done their homework on Victor, that they feel confident that – or uh, or on Victor, on, on Brandon Miller, they feel confident that uh, that he's an outstanding young man, that he's going to have a great career. Any other year, Brandon Miller would be a very good number one overall pick. There just happens to be a generational talent named Victor Wimanyama in this draft that, that changes things from Brandon Miller. But uh, Charlotte's still getting a very good player in Brandon Miller. I don't know how much that changes their win-loss total necessarily, but it uh, you know they'll be improved by adding a young player to, to go along with ball there uh in uh in that Charlotte organization. So uh it's uh it's fascinating for sure the the way this uh this draft lottery worked out the way it did uh with the San Antonio going there. Um looking across the board, Portland at three, Houston at four, Detroit at five, Orlando at six, Indiana at seven, Washington at at eight, Utah at nine, Dallas at ten. Big for the Mavs to keep that number 10 pick. And, you know, with with Luka trying to maximize the Luka era of sorts, are they going to trade that number 10 pick potentially? Um, watch out for that. Portland apparently is interested, potentially trade that number three pick. Houston's not even good at tanking. I mean, they've had some of the best odds to get the number one pick the last few years and. It never works out for them. Houston's got a long way to go to get to where they want to. Um, Orlando at 11. Um, Oklahoma City at 12. Oklahoma City gets gets Chet Holmgren healthy next year. On top of already the good rookie class that we saw this past year where they worked their way into the play-in tournament. Oklahoma City is going to get another very good player. They still have more picks coming. Watch out, folks. Oklahoma City is going to be spectacular. I'd love to see like a Grady Dick or something land the Oklahoma City at 12, Toronto at 13, New Orleans at 14. So uh, there you have it. That's your look at the uh, NBA draft lottery. It was exciting, to say the least. Uh, San Antonio gets lucky again with uh, Victor Wimanyama 
uh, with that pick. Um, we will bring in Omar Ruiz uh, from the NFL Network coming up in uh, just a few moments. Got Coach Bo standing by for the, uh, the football fix. Um, and then we'll have Tom Fullery coming up at the end of today's show. Uh, but before we get to all of that, uh, we'll get to our Big 12 breakdown this week. And, you know, we're, we're going to later on when we bring in Coach Bo, I want to talk about the ACC situation more with him. Uh, so I'll kind of touch this on the surface level, but the, the Big 12 right now is in a very, very interesting position. Um, we, we have said that the biggest complaint about the Big 12 conference for, you can go back how long, um, for a number of years, has been that this league has always been um, reactionary instead of proactive when it comes to expansion, when it comes to just the decisions that they are made. I mean, you know, a big reason why the conferences are what they are today is these conference TV networks, for example. I mean, we, we focus on obviously the teams and the conferences that added schools from other leagues and whatnot, but even just like the TV network wise, the Big 12 had a chance to get a TV network before anyone else did. And they thought it was a dumb idea, said no, didn't think there was a market for it. The Big Ten got it first, and the Big Ten's been a powerhouse ever since and been, you know, the money-making conference. Um, and fast forward to now, the Big 12 is the only conference without a TV network. So – even on the business side, besides just expansion-wise, Big 12 has always played from behind. Well, now we get these reports that the so-called Magnificent Seven, as Brett McMurphy has put them, uh, are upset with how things are in the ACC. And the so-called Magnificent Seven includes Clemson, Florida State, Miami, North Carolina, North Carolina State, Virginia, and Virginia Tech. And uh, that they're talking to their lawyers. They're trying to break up the grant of rights deal, potentially. And, you know, Oklahoma and Texas already kind of laid out the groundwork of how to break the grant of rights with uh, how Oklahoma and Texas got out of the Big 12 and not having to pay the big sums they paid. So it can be done um, if those schools want to get out and, get out for a lesser fee. Take a a short-term hit and get a long-term gain down the road. In the Big 12's position, okay, we're sitting here waiting on the Pac-12 to implode. Um, now, it might require the Big 12 pushing it over the finish line to get a couple of those teams. But Pac-12 countdown to midnight is getting close to the 11th hour, and there's still no TV deal in sight for that league. Now you got this going on in the ACC and in that situation. I know Brett Yormark has indicated, hey, we want to expand west, and our goals are to go west. I think that's, that's still very true. But the ACC opens up a whole 
other can of worms, too. I think, yeah, you do want to get that fourth time zone. You would love to be in Pacific time and do all that, and you should try to pursue that. But I don't think these things are mutually exclusive by any stretch of the imagination. Hear me out on this. Let's say that you can still get, you know, some Pac-12 schools and do that. Become a national conference. West Virginia, UCF, Cincinnati. You got these schools out east. They could use some partners. They could use some running mates. Maybe you're not going to get the Florida States or the Clemsons or the Miamis of the world, although if you could, that'd be fantastic. What about Louisville? What about Virginia? Virginia Tech. North Carolina, NC State, Pitt, Syracuse. I don't know about Boston College, but, you know, just, heck, even Duke, nobody. Sounds like nobody in the Big Ten or the SEC has any interest in Duke. Granted, they're not a a huge school, but a very fine athletic institution with a great, Great basketball program. I know that Coach K is not around, but still in the Charlotte Metro and a national brand, Duke would be interesting. I'm saying all this to say, the proactive Big 12, get your ducks in a row. Brett Yormark's done a terrific job, but there's about to be a whole lot of I think as Pat McAfee likes to call it, uh, happened in the season, right? Pick out some ACC. Pick out some Pac-12. Get what you can get. Maximize on revenue, on market size, on all of that. Don't leave any stone unturned. Go for it all. What do you have to lose? Be aggressive. Don't hold back. You know, I think a lot of us at one point in time all sat here and thought, yeah, they're going to get the four corner schools and, you know, that's going to be what the Big 12 looks like. Well, I don't think any of us know what the end result is. You know, I've been I've been disappointed by the Big 12 before, so I'm not getting my hopes up. But let's see it happen. You know, if you have to rebrand this league or whatever it is, get a new identity, I don't care. But do something. You know the meme, the do something thing, where the guy's hitting the the one thing with the stick says do something? That's this Big 12. So let's wait. Let's see. And, and go after it. I, I, I have teams I like more than others, but let's – Let's do something big. There, there's no dream is too big here. Let let's see the Big Twelve go after it and have a big league here and and go for it all as far as I'm concerned, and uh, and make this make this thing go round and round. Um, real quick, one more Big Twelve note before we uh, before we wrap up here. Uh, and uh, get to Omar Ruiz and get to our other business of the day. We have more on this ACC stuff when Coach Bo joins us later. We were talking about the NBA draft earlier. 
uh, four names on the Big 12 front in the latest ESPN mock draft of uh, guys that are projected to go get picked all in the lottery. Okay. Let me get these uh, these names for you here. Uh, and I'm including the new Big 12 in all this, too. We're going to be kind to them as well. Uh, Jarese Walker, power forward from Houston, projected to go to the Indiana Pacers. Um, Grady Dick, projected to go to the Utah Jazz. Uh, they're at number nine. Uh, Taylor Hendricks from UCF at power forward, projected to go to the Dallas Mavericks at 10. And then Keontae George, shooting guard at Baylor, projected to go to the Toronto Raptors at 13. So pretty good for the new Big 12 to have four players in the top 13. Grady Dick in particular, uh, folks, and I know I'm a Kansas guy, but I feel like he showed his flashes, had some moments. Obviously, the shooting is there. He's very athletic. Uh, you know, part of the NBA, you're drafting on potential and all that. I don't think we've even come close to the surface level for Grady Dick yet. And I hope he wears number 69 in the NBA. That'd be great. One guy, too, that I'm looking for on this NBA stuff that I can't – I don't know why he's falling off the map. He looked like he was going to be a first-round pick. Now he might slide mid-second. Jalen Wilson, one of the best players in the country this year, was awesome at KU. Now he's expected to be a second-round pick. He'd be a steal for somebody. Jalen Wilson can do it all. He looks the part of an NBA player. Watch out. Let's see what he can do. So – there you have it. That's the uh, Big 12 breakdown this week. Omar Ruiz, Coach Bo joining us. Uh, also got Tom Fullery coming up later on. Stay with us here on the Jones Report. <laughs> joining us now on the Jones Report this week, pleased to welcome back Omar Ruiz of the NFL Network as he joins us to talk about the latest happenings across the National Football League. But first, uh, Omar, uh, always a pleasure to talk to you, uh, my friend. But we, we got to get to what, what happened <laughs> Several weeks back at the Final Four, uh, I was out there doing coverage with uh, with TJ Reeves for TuneIn Radio. You came on our uh, pregame show before the national championship. Your alma mater, San Diego State, was there. But uh, a moment that will live in infamy, infamy forever, uh, San Diego State gets that buzzer beater, and then you run it out on the court. Uh, <laughs> even, even several weeks later after the fact, I- I'm still just – uh, laughing. That, that was maybe my favorite moment of the entire Final Four, Omar. It, it was surreal, Tyler, and, and and I think the possibility of us reliving it over the years was made possible by you capturing it on video, <laughs> and thankfully NFL Network put it out there with Good Morning Football and Total Access, NFL Now, all the different shows that we have, and reflecting about that, I was there in Houston at NRG Stadium for the draft. Just a few weeks later, two, three weeks later, in fact. <laughs> and so just reliving all those memories. And I was texting all my buddies. Did we really get to the national championship game? Did that really happen? It was one of these pinch me moments still weeks after it happened. And it's still something that I think, and and, and granted, we lost the national championship. But I mean, for our group of friends and for where we came from as a program, and we've talked about this, Tyler. It was the most surreal run that I think, you know, we could ever have imagined, you know, a buzzer beater, a historic buzzer beater in the final four at that. And the big comeback versus Alabama, the big comeback 
that night against FAU, the big comeback uh, against Creighton, um, you know, just one upset after the other. It's just something we'll, we'll remember forever. And I think even more so than the incredible run by the Aztecs, it was just the, 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 the reunion that we had there in Houston. We had guys from Dallas, Nashville, Denver, the Bay Area, L.A., San Diego. And, and that doesn't happen unless there's a historic event like that, usually re- revolving around sports. So, um, yeah, it's just a terrific weekend. I'm, I'm glad you were a part of it. And, uh, hey, let's do it again next year at the Final Four in Phoenix. I'm down. Uh, I love Phoenix. Uh, you know, that would be awesome if uh, San Diego State could get back there. And and for, for that program, uh, you know, getting to the championship game, I know that they ran into a buzzsaw in UConn. Hard to be disappointed in that with just how good that UConn team was. But when you look towards the future of trying to get into the Pac-12 or one of these Power 5 leagues potentially and getting that stage, I mean, I, I was so impressed of not only how San Diego State performed to get to that championship game, but fans like you and alums, Omar, I mean, just really represented. Uh, they, they were as vocal and as noticeable as any of the four teams in that Final Four. I, I really felt like San Diego State proved that they belonged on that stage, not just as a basketball program, but as a fan base, too. Yeah, I think, you know, we've had this student fan base called The Show now for 15 or so years that really in, in, in the Mountain West <clears throat> Conference is well-known. Um, if you are a college basketball junkie, you know about the show. If you're watching CBS Sports Network late on Saturday nights in February, you know about the show. But for, for the fan base, for the excitement to be exposed nationally is the type of stuff that we need to become a, a perennial national contender. And I think, you know, what, what you said, if this is parlayed to um, a Power 5 conference and a potential move down the road, that would be awesome. But I think even now, going forward, as the program is constructed right now in the Mountain West, you know, and obviously they got to continue to recruit and, and take advantage of all those sort of opportunities that have come with the Final Four run. But I think their position now to continue to be Gonzaga light, maybe, where, you know, they're, they're in the mix. They're going to make a Final Four and maybe one of these days can land a national title. Oh, it'd be awesome. Uh, Certainly uh, excited for you, and congrats to the Aztecs for getting as far as they did. When when you got back to NRG Stadium for the draft, did you you do the run again, you know, just to (laughs) mimic and everything? I mean, mean, that's a whole other story that the Texans, not only getting C.J. Stroud, but Will Anderson, too. What, What a shock to the NFL stratosphere of landing both players and, and for it to happen when it did to, to have a draft night trade in that moment. Uh, Texans were some of the biggest winners of the draft. I felt with those picks. Well, maybe D'Amico Ryans and Nick Casario were doing that run up <laughs> out there onto the field. Like I did at NRG stadium. Yeah. It, it was a thrilling night, uh, historic in its own right there uh, on draft night. And, and Tyler, we've talked about the Houston Texans. Um, they've won 11 games the last three years. A lot of the headlines coming out of there become because of the Deshaun Watson situation, a lot of negative headlines coming out of there. So for them to kind of hit two home runs in this draft to set the foundation for what all the excitement is with the D'Amico Ryan's era getting ready to start, they couldn't have asked for a better turnout with this draft. And you throw in Tank Dell and 
you know, the depth pieces to the draft. It really is a solid foundation. And even still with that draft, there aren't high expectations for the Texans, but they could be one of those teams that's just sneaky good where it's it's coming down to week 18, they're seven and nine. Maybe if they get a win to get eight and nine, they get that seven seed. I could see them as one of those type of teams because I think the way they've constructed this roster, obviously they've, they've had those young foundational pieces that they just got in the draft. But you look at the rest of the roster, the way it's composed, a lot of one-year deals for some of these vets who are prove it. You know, they'd be highly motivated, you know, type of team. And D'Amico Ryan so well-known for bringing guys together and forming a nucleus there on the team. And, and I think it's one of those teams that, you know, in the AFC South can contend a little bit and, you know, obviously not going to win a Super Bowl or anything, but it might be one of those teams we're talking about late in December for things to break their way and sneak into the playoffs. Yeah, uh, you know, the Jags seem to be the favorite in that division, but if they have a few injuries or whatever they may be, Houston could be right there. I expect them to take a big jump uh, as well. I'm, I'm right there with you, Omar. Who else stood out to you, not just in the draft, but the offseason as, as a whole is some of the biggest winners, uh, teams that took steps, uh, big steps in the right direction, you think? Well, it's hard to not address this offseason and not say the New York Jets. And I know Aaron Rodgers, it's the obvious answer. Um, but what I look at is how good that defense is with Robert Sala. He's going into year three now, building his defense. And that defense, Tyler, was so good. I felt if Brees Hall doesn't get hurt last season, regardless of what was happening at quarterback, because they were winning games in spite of their quarterback last year right. because of the defense and the running game, I felt they would have snuck into the playoffs last year if Hall doesn't get hurt, because as you remember, he was getting stronger as the season wore on, as he became more familiar with the NFL game. When he gets hurt, they still were right there in the thick of things into December. So now you have that young defense that carried the team last year, is a year better, a year more experienced. You have a young offense, a guy like Garrett Wilson, who's the offensive rookie of the year, who now is going to make a leap to year two and would have done so no matter who was playing quarterback pardon me, but is now doing it with Aaron Rodgers, for goodness right. sakes. And not only Aaron Rodgers, but Alan Lazard, to be a compliment there, and just go on down the line. And that is an offense now that has expectations that I felt the defense was good enough that if you had an offense that had no expectation, it's still going to be a good football team. Now that you have an offense with expectations, all the reason for the Super Bowl buzz and the New York Jets' high optimism this offseason. But that's a team that is just really attractive to me in terms of not just improving, but improving in, in different stratosphere than what we had seen from them in years past. How do you think the Quentin Williams situation shakes out there? You got a guy that's coming off an all-pro season, wants upwards of $23 million. Uh, he certainly could make a case for that, but I don't know necessarily if the Jets have the money to do that. What do you think is going to be the end game there? It's a good question. I, I think they'll get creative. I think that it'll get done. Um, I think he's too important to that defense, the young defense uh, that we talked about. You know, obviously, you know, we just talked about Garrett Wilson and there's Sauce Gardner and B.J. Reed, a lot of younger players on that team that eventually have to get paid. But I think when those players have to get paid, maybe Aaron Rodgers is off the books at that time. So they'll get creative. It's late May, mid-May right now. I think when you know by the time training camp rolls around, they'll have figured things out with Quentin Williams. His agent is Nicole Lynn. 
the great Nicole Lynn did the deal with Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, so, you know, I, I think they're just posturing at this point. And, you know, I've heard the reports that they're, they're far apart, but, you know, as you know, Tyler deadlines make deals. And as we get closer to training camp, I don't think this is something to worry about at least to start the season. Quentin Williams, Quentin Williams is an important piece to the Jets and, and they know that. Yeah, I think so too. And uh, you look at the way fifth year options went this year. Um, you know, there were, I thought, several good players that didn't didn't get their fifth year options, or maybe even if they did, and are being talked about as potential trade candidates as far as these long term deals goes. I mean, you you look at the Jerry Judys, the Patrick Queens, the Jordan Brookses of the world here. Um, I mean, the, the, the trade rumors uh, here in the month of May, I mean, especially with those fifth-year option players, uh, are, are kind of all over the place. I, I don't think we're done seeing some big-time moves here yet, Omar. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think you you talk about Jerry Judy and, you know, the, the loaded wide receiver room they have, and they had to go get Marvin Mims in the draft to add to that wide receiver room. It only fuels that sort of speculation in spite of George Payton and Sean Payton saying the entire offseason they love Jerry Judy. They want him to be there, but all signs indicate that, you know, perhaps the way the offseason has gone might be a, a candidate to be traded. So, yeah, it's an interesting next couple of months as rosters kind of settle in, as as teams evaluate what they have in the picks that they just drafted, putting them on the field for rookie mini camps, and then, of course, OTAs and, and mini camps all together. And I think, yeah, I, I think you're onto something here where we've seen the NFL become more uh, aggressive in terms of trading uh, than we have seen, you know, here in years past and in, and in previous eras. And I think that's another indication that lack of 50 year option that, you know, we could see guys moving here on uh, on the last year of the rookie deals, first round yeah. picks that are thought of, like you said, Judy, Jordan Brooks, those are good players, Yeah, uh, but but they're not going to be around for their fifth year options. And, and, you know, other teams know that and potentially could make moves. Yeah, I mean, like, I look at the running back position, for example, and, you know, there's some some of these talented backs, you know, the, the Saquon Barkleys, the Josh Jacobs, the Derrick Henrys of the world. You know, these guys want to get paid, um, and maybe these teams that they're with might not want to give that next contract. But if you're a, a, a player away or need that, that game-breaking running back, that, that might be worth taking a flyer on to, to do a, a two- or three-year deal of some sorts to capitalize the prime on on one of those backs there. Yeah, I mean, I think teams realize that it, it's a passing it's a passing league and the game has changed, certainly. But you still need to run the football in January, uh, in December, um, to win. Uh, you know, you look at even the Chiefs and, and other teams, you know, when they've had to run, they've been able to run. And they've been able to kind of solve those issues, not not for an entire game. You know, they're not, not putting up 100 yards per game on the ground. But when it's third and four late in the third quarter and they need a first down and they need to do it by running the football, they can get it done. And I think, you know, when you look at that philosophical shift that the NFL has made, um, you know, players like Derrick Henry, um, Josh Jacobs, the guys you just mentioned, are not necessarily – going to be the bell cows, you know, Derek Henry, of course, except right. the bell cows for, for year after year after year anymore, but certainly key pieces to Super Bowl championship type of rosters. 
And so if you are building that team and you're missing a piece, as you alluded to, then certainly the big time running back is a position that could be filled here in the next couple months in terms of those uh, trade bait and that yeah. avenue of roster building. Very well could. Uh, let's uh, shift gears to free agency. Still some pretty decent free agents uh, at this point in time. Omar, I, I, I'll be honest, I am shocked that uh, Yannick Ngakwe is, is still around, still available. He was one of the best free agents to start free agency and, and, and still sitting around at this point. Yeah, I think somebody like him in his career maybe wants some stability. You know, he's kind of bounced around here. Uh, you know, Minnesota, Jacksonville, Vegas, Indy, and had such a great season with Vegas a couple years ago opposite Max Crosby. And I think if you're him, you're probably looking to, to like I said, find some stability, you know, find a, a person that he can play opposite from when he produces uh, his best football. Um, but, it, but it is rather shocking that he's still available um, because, you know, he's always been a good citizen, a productive player going back to his Jacksonville days. Um, but you know, that that's the kind of, you know, somebody like Indomitian Sue, you know, yes. another veteran who's kind of still out there still intends to play, but you know, is not going to, not going to sign up now is just going to wait for training camp. I don't know if Ngakwe's in that category yet of veteran where he can kind of call his shot and wait till training camp. Um, but I think he will find a home. And I think he's at the point of his career financially where he can probably be a little more choosy where he goes. And perhaps that's why he's lasted a little longer as a free agent than somebody of his talent would normally suggest. Yeah. We mentioned Ngakwe. I mean, you look at the edge rusher position right now, a lot of good candidates. I mean, if you're like a player or two away and need to fill that position, I mean, not just Ngakwe, we're talking Leonard Floyd, Jadavian Clowney, Frank Clark, just to name a few here. I mean, uh, Kyle Van Noy is still there too. I mean, watch out. I mean, I feel like these guys, because there's so many different options, probably aren't going to get the money they were necessarily looking for uh, with, with so many different players available still. Yeah, I had an interesting conversation with uh, K.J. Wright a couple years ago. And, you know, he was a veteran that was kind of in the same boat as those guys are now. And, it, you know, it, it, he was very honest. Just, you know, he knows at this point uh, he's better than a lot of the rookies that, that were on the field that throughout, you know, the different organizations. I think this was before he ended up signing with the Raiders that one year. Yeah. Um, uh, after his illustrious career with the Seahawks. But, but teams – you know, are honest with these vets. They want to see what they have in these draft picks. And if they can get away with, you know, paying a rookie contract to a player that's going to have similar production to a seasoned vet. Now the seasoned vet comes in with intangibles, lockership qualities, um, leadership, all of that. You know, we saw how great Kyle Van Oy was last year with the chargers coming in and checking all those boxes. Um, so, but, but that's again, the same sort of thing where, you know, they're waiting, you know, teams are to see if, you know, the, the, the younger players will stand out, how much they still have a need for. And then those are the caliber of players that they bring in for training camp. And now here we go uh, to start the season and let's start building that roster. Yeah. Uh, some decent running backs still available too. Uh, Zeke, Kareem Hunt, Leonard uh, Fournette, of course. Um, you think when this is all said and done, is there any chance Zeke could end up back in Dallas? I still have that feeling. I still have that feeling that 
the way the Joneses, both Stephen and Jerry, have talked that, that you know it's not beyond comprehension to bring Zeke back. Um, the way the market is for these running backs, especially veteran ones like Ezekiel Elliott, he's he has a lot of money um, made in his career, and if he's going to go take um, less money, and if Dallas is able to to sort of match that and, you know, kind of get a, get a bargain out of him. Why wouldn't he want to stay knowing how important he's been for that organization, how beloved he's been by the Joneses and, you know, the foundation's already laid there. I can see it happening. He probably, you know, has to work through the ego part of it first, but with Dak being there, I don't think it's um, ridiculous to think that, that Zeke would be back there uh, given everything he's been through with the organization and everything that he could potentially still mean in that running back room, especially, um, especially you know, as Tony Pollard works his way back and and Deuce Vaughn, you know, right. still you know needs to get caught up to speed there. Well, and, and I look at Zeke uh, Omar. Obviously, he's not the runner that he was a couple years ago. He he doesn't have the speed that he once had, but as effective that he was in the red zone and in short yardage and and all that, I mean, whether it's Dallas or anybody for that matter, th- there's still a role for Zeke in this league. I, I think he-, he he would be an excellent short yardage back for somebody at a at a pretty decent price potentially here. Yeah. Uh, I would I-, I think that Zeke could be a-, a great fit even right back there in Dallas. Yeah, I agree with you, Tyler. And I I look back at Todd Gurley's production from when he was the offensive player of the year. And of course he had the knee injury that caught up with him eventually, but he still had, he had the one year where it kind of fell off um, in LA. And then he went to Atlanta and he had that same short yardage success as a Falcon. Right. And so I think, yeah, Zeke is right there where he's still going to be able to continue that short yardage, um, you know, uh, third down type of role. If that's in Dallas, you know, I think that they would all agree to that if the finances work. But um, but to your point, yeah, I still still think he could be an effective player with a certain role. <laughs> but there's no hope of the old Zeke coming back. And, you know, I was at that that playoff game, the Niners and Cowboys, and, and the holes were there. And just the lack of burst was just so obvious watching it from the press box and that kind of all 22 view and, and just, and obviously Tony Pollard got hurt that game, but before he got hurt, just the difference was so pronounced watching it right then. But, but, you know, if Zeke can, you know, like I said, find a role, you know, short yardage goal line situations to do what he had success in last year. Center. He'll be an effective player. (laughs) Put him at center, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What in the heck? You know, the two, two years ago, it was the uh, you know the clock. What in the heck? <laughs> this past year, it was the center. What in the heck? Yeah, uh, that was uh, that was something. Uh, Cowboys find a way to always go out uh, <laughs> on an interesting note for sure. Uh, the schedule uh, get released uh, last week. Uh, Omar, what was uh, some of your takeaways? What uh, what matchups you looking forward to in uh, 2023? Well, the one I you know I was really looking forward to was the Dolphins and Chiefs with Tyreek Hill going to against uh, Kansas City for the first time. We thought that game was going to be in Arrowhead. It's actually going to be in Germany. So yeah. that'll be interesting to see how that 
kind of rivalry translates. I thought it was interesting the league put the Detroit Lions as the season opener kind of matches all the hype that we've been talking about and all the love that we've been giving the Lions for all their offseason moves, for the way they ended last year, um, the belief in Jared Goff, you know, after he reemerged as a pro bowler last year, that they would put him up against the Chiefs in the season opener. I think that says a lot about who the Lions could be in 2023 and kind of matches all the expectations that we felt behind the scenes. Um, I thought it was interesting, you know, and this is typically the case, but how much the Seahawks are going to have to travel uh, this year, um, given that, you know, they're expected to make a jump um, from, at least my expectations anyway, from playoff contender like they were last year, obviously got bounced in the wild card, but could potentially be a Super Bowl contender if things break their way. The rookies that they drafted up high, you know, you have, you know, when you look at their first uh, first two picks in the first round, the two second picks um, in Hall and, and Charbonnet, if they can get three or three starters of those four picks, I mean, you figure Jackson Smith and Jigba will be one and, and Witherspoon will be one. But if one of those second round guys like Hall or Charbonnet can hit, and then you're talking about Geno Smith, if he can build on what he had last year, which is what the expectation is, it wasn't just a flash in the pan. You know, now that he has a year of experience under his belt as a Seahawk, as a starter, and DK and Tyler and, and the yeah. rest of those weapons that we just mentioned, and he could be even better in 2023. That that defense was horrible last year. If they could just become average right. and Gino could take another step, you know, that that's a, a team we're talking about. Um, so getting back to the original point about them traveling, you know, who knows how much wear and tear that takes um, on a, on a team. But yeah, you know, I mean, they're not playing an international game and yet they'll travel still more than any other team in the league. Isn't that fascinating? It's fascinating. But if anybody can figure out it's Pete Carroll and John Schneider, you know, they, they, they typically do. And so those are a few things that kind of caught my eye about the schedule release uh, last week. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll be honest. I, I know I'm a chiefs fan, Omar, but even in my unbiased opinion, I was looking through all these games and it seems like the best games, somehow the best and most intriguing involve the chiefs, whether it's the jets, the Bengals, the Eagles, the bills. Uh, I think I heard something that they're only going to have one or two noon games, noon central time games, the entire year that uh, either Nance and Romo or Burkhart and Olsen are going to be pretty much calling every Chiefs game all year. I mean, they they have become appointment television to the same extent we talked about uh, Tom Brady in the in the Patriots in the 2000s now. Yeah, and Indianapolis and Peyton Manning in those days. And, and well, they are that. They're, they're a two-time Super Bowl champion, a multiple Super Bowl champion with the nucleus they have there with Reed and Mahomes and Kelsey. And, and I don't think – I think that last year – with all the talk about receiver and them being able to make it work uh, with Juju and MVS and, you know, the cast of characters that they brought in and still win a Super Bowl, that just told me that they're always going to be, because you, you, you hear about it a lot. You know, you, you hear about, okay, the Bills, as long as they have Josh Allen, they're always going to be contenders. Or the Chiefs, you know, Reed and Mahomes are always going to be contenders. But usually these teams take dips, right? But, to your point, Tom Brady 
didn't win the Super Bowl every year, but he was a Super Bowl contender every year. And 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 that is a legitimate and with bad receiving course too. Didn't matter. Yeah, he was yeah, he was always a Super Bowl contender. I think that the Chiefs are that, and that was just clear last year. Um, and so because of that, they get the prime time, they get the 425 games, um, you know, all year long. And 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 not to mention just how good they are in that regard, Tyler, but they're so much fun to watch. Yes. You know, the, the creativity, the playbook, the running around, ring around the rosy and all that stuff. They're just a fun, entertaining brand of football to watch. And and obviously Mahomes is one of the, one of the most special quarterbacks we've ever seen in the history of the game. So, um, so yeah, so it's, it's entertaining. Uh, they win. Um, and I can't wait to watch them. I can't wait to see how they figure it out this year. And plus all those young players on defense we talked about last year in the Super Bowl run. Now they've made that much better and more experienced. You know, look out, look out NFL because, yeah, these Chiefs are going to be. Oh, and that was the other question that they solved last year. You know, how much can they get out of the rest of the roster now that Mahomes is, you know, contract is, you know, the, the numbers that it is. And it's not in his rookie contract anymore. All those questions were answered and they're, they're going to be their legit contenders every single year. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Omar, last thing, we'll, we'll kind of wrap up on this. Uh, you know, as as a media guy like you are working for the NFL Network, I thought you'd have an interesting perspective on this. Looking at the schedule and and the news that we got this week, the, the impact on streaming is as big as ever before. Peacock getting a playoff game. Amazon, in addition to their slate, getting the Black Friday game now, too. Um, this is fascinating to see the NFL's commitment to – streaming and, and going this route uh, that fans, if they haven't already, are going to have to continue to adapt to here. Uh, it seems like the league is going all in on that route. Yeah, it's interesting. And that's something we've been hearing about for a couple of years now. And this is, you know, the execution of a plan that's kind of a couple of years in the making. And I know uh, maybe it's two years ago now we were, we were given and then, and then subsequently we've had to buy um, subscription to YouTube TV. And, you know, it's a streaming service, a partner with the NFL and, and obviously partnered with, in a big way now with Red Zone. And I think I think yeah, Sunday ticket. Yeah, it's, yes. Uh, Sunday ticket, Red Zone, YouTube TV, the playoff game on Peacock, Thursday Night Football, Amazon, the, the Black Friday game. Like you mentioned, this is the NFL embracing uh, not just the future. It's the reality of, of what it is today. I mean, I, you know, I'm I consider myself kind of an old guy and and I'm I've cut the cord years ago YouTube TV got HBO Max subscribed to Disney Plus and I feel like I'm I'm pretty typical of of the NFL consumer in that regard and so it's just going where the fans are and, and the fans are at these apps and so um I I would expect um traditional TV to hold on to these NFL rights for for a significant um, time period but but how we view things in chunks will continue to change and eventually it'll all, all be streamed um, one day but I think there's still um, because sports is one of the few um, and especially the NFL uh, entities to continue to draw live audiences I think that'll keep you know the traditional broadcast networks broadcast mediums uh, media kind of you know afloat here until until they make the switch and they go streaming full time, you know what? How soon that is, we don't know. But um, 
But to your point, the the playoff game on Peacock is we're, we're continuing to take those steps there. Well, and I, I think too uh, along the same lines, what you're alluding to, Omar, there's the NFL trying to find that happy medium, right? Like you know, with the 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 laws that are in place, you're always going to have your hometown team if you live in an NFL city on network television every single week, um, you know, some way or another. Uh, but whether it's through streaming, whatever it may be, it's just making things more accessible. It might be easier to stream Amazon Prime on your phone rather than trying to find, you know, the game somewhere, you know, on on cable, whatever it may be. I mean, it's it's that that balance. The NFL is not going away from your local TV provider, but making things, you know, on uh, more accessible for streaming too. It's the, it's the balance approach here. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the the way that they've dabbled, you know, over the years, and it's just making sure the infrastructure is in place. So when the NFL is not a media company, but when the media companies decide to go kind of full stream everywhere, the NFL will um, be ready to make that shift on a dime and will be able to be competitive um, in that regard. Um you know, instantaneously because the infrastructure that they've been working on the last several years um, is already in place. And I think, um, you know, they continue to not only uh, take advantage of those streaming opportunities, but to create and innovate. And that the Black Friday game is yeah. an example of that. And and if you remember, that was announced at some point last year. So the, you know, these things, you know, a year and a half, two years, three years, you know, it was announced a year and a half ago is probably, you know, uh, an idea a year and a half before that. And so these things are years in the making. And, uh, and, you know, because of that, I think the, the NFL will kind of stay ahead of the curve there and, and be ready to pivot at a moment's notice. Yeah, for sure. Omar, uh, before we go, what's, uh, what's going on with you? Uh, I know it's the off season, but, uh, things certainly don't slow down. Uh, what's, What's in uh, in your world over these uh, next few months here? Yeah, we got uh, NFL Total Access coming up uh, next week and and the week after that, uh, Monday and then Monday, Tuesday. And um, we'll be having a special OTA show on NFL Plus. Speaking of streaming, uh, we, we have NFL Plus that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll try to engage more with this upcoming year we launched it last year i'm sure you see all the, yeah. the ads during games and everything but we're gonna you know put more programming more content on there and included that we're still gonna have mini camp specials on the network and i'm sure a lot of that coverage will go on nfl plus but we're actually gonna be doing ota shows so that'll be a kind of a first for us and again exclusively on nfl plus so yeah so we'll still be busy we'll still be out there you know covering all the the nfl on the field here the next few weeks and then after that it's uh it's summertime and get ready for training camp yeah uh i i i hear that you're uh you're going to be enjoying your own summer at jones there yeah man uh we're going to new york <laughs> boston little maine little east coast trip for the reese family so it'll be uh my girl's first time in new york city seeing all the seeing it in the movies and everything they can't wait to check it out and then i'll reunite with one of my old syracuse buddies uh in boston and our kids will get together at it's going to be a, a fun uh, – if it's half as fun as Summer at Jones, we're in for a treat. <laughs> oh, hey, uh, that sounds like a great time. Certainly uh, excited for you. Omar, 
Uh, appreciate you joining us, man. Check this guy out, NFL Network, on social media as well. Give him a follow, and uh, we'll talk in down the line. Thanks for joining us, my man, and uh, we'll talk in soon. All right. Thank you, Tyler. Time for Coach Bowles Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can find O'Connor Advisory Group online, OAGCast.com, O'Connor Advisory Group.com, and check out the Coach Bowles Podcast out each and every week, wherever you listen to podcasts. Coach Bo joins us right now. Bo, how are we doing this week? Always a pleasure, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me. It's um, you know, it's been a great week. We've been busy and uh things are kind of calming down a little bit. We're kind of post the tax season. We're about a month out of tax season. So a lot of folks, especially business people, are kind of looking at the situation and going, Well, we had to write a big check. How can we plan to not have to do that next year? We can help you with that. And if my individuals out there, a lot of folks are about to start getting quarter two statements from the old 401k the one you haven't thought about you throw the thing in the drawer and forget about it give us a call let us help you take control of your money and get you something that's a little more suitable for your individual situation oagcast.com i'm counteradvisorygroup.com for more information there bo uh i want to focus more on the college side this week but i do want to hit on a couple nfl notes here first and beginning with uh the second wave of free agency the Comp pick uh, situation has passed us now, so teams are on that second jolt of sorts of of getting players and filling up these rosters here. And I got to tell you, Bo, one thing that stood out to me is that not only do you still have some very talented players remaining, but in particular, if you need an edge rusher or if you need a running back, you have plenty of options right now, players you could probably get at a fairly decent price. Yeah, the thing I noticed is that most of the players that are in that top availables are age 28, 29, 30. And so you start to see a little bit of tread on the tires for those kind of people, especially for the running backs. But the fact that Ezekiel Elliott hasn't signed anywhere yet or Leonard Fournette, um, even Kareem Hunt, who had a real good season last year and the year before especially, kind of surprised those three haven't signed. The edge rushers, the three that everyone's talking about, uh, Jadavion Clowney, Frank Clark, Leonard Floyd, the one that's most surprising me is Frank Clark, obviously. Um, you know, Jadavion Clowney has just been someone who is super, super talented, but just hasn't turned it on to being that player in his NFL career. But all three of them are 30. And I think that teams are just saying, hey, let's give a young guy the opportunity at a lower cap number than bringing in these veterans at 30 years old. You're going to see some of these guys also out there. You know, Marcus Peters is out there. Um, I expected him to sign, but these guys are all going to sign before camp or that first week of camp. They're going to be guys who are going to be bit pieces. They're going to be that third down rusher, that, you know, the the, the backup running back, uh, that kind of thing. And what you're getting, you're seeing is that, that 30-year-old thing. There's a little bit of a stigma that either you're a really strong, great contributor at 30 and you continue your career or you're going to be the bit player and we want you at a bit player price. That's what's kind of going on right now. I think with a lot of these guys. Well, and, and Yannick Ngakwe, I would argue is the best player remaining in the entire market right now. And you may be right. You may be. And he's only 28. 28? And that was one that, yeah. And those three running backs are all 28 and they're still treading the tires. I think Ezekiel Elliott, and four, I think all the, all three of the running backs we we're talking about, you know, Elliott, Hunt, and Fournette, the injury bug has hit them all too. And so that's kind of hard to go back with that edge injury thing on those guys with with that. Um, you know, I mean, a couple other names. 
Same thing goes for your guy Jarvis Landry. I think Jarvis is still a very talented and good receiver, but couldn't stay healthy much last year in New Orleans. Take a flyer on him. Don't pay him a whole lot. I think that's a situation where the reward is much higher than the risk. Yeah, he's one that would be a great third receiver for somebody. Kenny Galladay is a guy who, look, I've been on Kenny Galladay since his college days, and um, he's 29 now. He had the injury bug, and then there was a little thing with him not playing as hard as – maybe not playing as hard, just not being a good fit for the Giants these last two seasons. But those are guys that a good team – this is where good teams get better is that they find take flyers on these guys, and they go, okay, let's bring them in. Let them be that piece. This is where the teams like the Chiefs, like Buffalo, like Cincinnati, uh, like the Eagles are now. These teams are thinking, if they're thinking depth, you go grab one of these kind of guys. You got young receivers? Then go get a Jarvis Landry. Or if you think you need a third receiver, Kenny Galladay is a good fit. You know, running backs, running backs are committees anyway. We talked about that. Unless you get two or three of the top ones, you're in a committee. Boy, playoff Lenny, Leonard Fournette, and then Ezekiel Elliott. I I still think he's better than most people think he is. And I think the number one reason he wasn't as effective these last two seasons is teams changed their defense when they saw Elliott in the game. Right. Pollard was getting a lot of third down carries with less guys in the box. So, again, a good team goes and gets an Ezekiel Elliott, and he's your you know second down back, where maybe you've got a little a good quarterback and you can pass in those downs. We know Zeke can block. I I think that's one I would keep an eye on too. I he's gonna land somewhere that's gonna be a smart pickup. Right. I'd like to see I like to see Ezekiel Elliott land in Miami. Yeah. I can see that. I think that'd be a good fit for him. They need help in the run game, too. They do. I think he'd be a great fit there. So here's one question I have for you. So one of the themes that I see common between the edge rusher market and the running back market is that you look at the the, the trade candidates that are potentially out there. You know, the when you talk about edge rushers, you know, you're thinking Chase Young, obviously, and and you know you look at you know running back wise Joe Mixon, Austin Eckler, Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs. I mean a lot of a lot of good running backs that could be looking for new homes via trade. How much does the free agent market at those positions at running back and edge affect the trade value of these guys that are looking to get paid and move elsewhere? I think that the the trade market's a little different for a lot of different players. So I'm like, we'll take Derrick Henry, for instance. Derrick Henry is like Chase Young as well, the last year of a contract. So they've got a little more power in not necessarily where they go, but in going because they're not coming back most likely. You're not, especially in Chase Young's case. Derrick Henry, you know, if the Titans trade him, they're going to full rebuild. And they run here to the quarterback. You figure they're going to go to full rebuild at some point anyway. So why not get what you can? There's probably some people who are overplaying their hand. Maybe the Titans are one of them with Derrick Henry saying we want too much coming back. And people can say, well, why do I want Derrick Henry when I go get Ezekiel Elliott? And it's going to cost me a lot less. Um, I would argue the two you mentioned 
Chase Young and Derrick Henry are both different makers, difference makers for a team. Yeah. I would I, – I mean, I'm not going to give a real high draft pick for each of them, but I'd work out a deal. I think the one I heard, I saw Michael Rose and um, Ian Rappaport reported earlier today that the Bengals are in talks with Derek, for trying to trade for Derrick Henry. And that's been a rumor before the draft, and now I kind of, it's kind of a rumor again. Um, imagine that. I mean, that's a guy one season in Cincy – a team that's really putting all their eggs in the one basket saying this is the year we got to make it because they're going to pay Burrow soon, and they're not sure they can keep all those receivers happy. Right. Those contracts. So it's going to be interesting to see how that all works out in the end. Yeah, I think so. Uh, it's a very good point there uh, on that front. And, you know, one name that I'm keeping an eye on as far as the trade market goes, we mentioned Derrick Henry. What about his, his teammate, Ryan Tannehill? Hear me out on this, Bo. I hear you. You and I, I think, are both convinced. The rebuild is on in Tennessee. Yeah. They are – that is not a good roster on that team I, right now. I, I think we are on the same page about that, yes. Derek Henry and Ryan Tannehill will not be back in Tennessee next year. If you're Tennessee, why not go ahead and get what you can for Tannehill – get what you can from Derrick Henry and just blow the whole thing up. Um, Tannehill, get something. I don't know what you can get, but get something and ride with Levis, um, who you spent a high second-round pick on anyway. And Derrick Henry, you know, you're not going to get many opportunities to get something out of a out of a running back in a trade anyway. And if he's going to walk away in free agency, if you're not doing anything, I, if I'm Tennessee, why, why not? Yeah, so Tennessee's a unique situation because a lot of teams don't want to admit they're rebuilding. That's a lot. They want to sell tickets. They want to make sure that their fan base is happy. They want to give at least the the look and the appearance of hope. The Titans have got a great fan base look. They're already getting a new stadium. So if I'm the Titans, I can take that one year and just be awful. I know that it sucks, but you've already got your new stadium being built. You've got a good local fan base. you got a great Trade, coach. Great coach, and he, I think they'll probably keep him through this as well. Go ahead and I agree with you. Make the deals for Derrick Henry, for Ryan Tannehill. Start over. You've got the young quarterback. Get as many of the pieces as possible. I'll give you the example of the team that did this. It was the Houston Texans. They, their hand was forced into that with the Deshaun Watson stuff, but they went ahead and took the bite. And they went and they got the number two pick in the draft this past year. Could have, should have been number one, but they blew it in the last game of the season by winning that game. But I made the point on my podcast this week, we were talking about that, and I said, if you, if they had gotten the number one pick, they wouldn't have got two and three in trades. Just wouldn't have worked out that way. But what they did do is they said, we're going to be okay with being bad for a year. And now the momentum they have, new coach, new quarterback, great defensive young player up front. Hey, man, I if I'm the Titans, I use that model. Clear out what I can clear out. Get me picks. Let's go ahead and stink. Let's go ahead and have a top five pick. You never know. You might go 0-17 or 1-16 and the number one pick drops to you 
And then you've got a decision to make a quarterback. But well, and, and here's one thing, too, as far as quarterback goes that I would add. Will Levis is not Anthony Richardson. He is a little bit older. You yes. should, if you gave him a full 17-game slate this year, you should know one way or the other whether he's that guy or not. And if yeah. he is that guy, you got your quarterback. You got that figured out. You got that taken care of. If he's not, it didn't work out, and you can go get a great quarterback next year. Yeah. I, it, they're going to be hard-pressed to go get a quarterback a third year in a row. But this is diff- the different, it's the different GM in front office than it was a year ago as well. Right. So you know you've got that piece. So say you did end up going 1-16 and you got the first pick. And Levis was you terrible. You trade that yeah. pick. Or you might trade Levis. Right. But play Levis. And go ahead. Levis is, of all those quarterbacks, Richardson was the one I think has the most upside. We talked about this already a couple weeks ago. But Levis is better today. He's more, he's better suited to be a starter today than Richardson is. And like, I don't think Richardson should see the field in 2023. I just don't. I wouldn't play him a single down in the this season. Now, the Colts are going to play him. I'll bet he's a starter by week one, which is going to ruin him. But I do think that with Levis, I'd play him to see what I got. And because I'm not going to be any better either way, I might as well know on the guy that I know, I know he has some upside. I got to know if he's a franchise guy now. And I think you'll see that. The reason it's different on Richardson than the others to me is that his upside is not going to be seen or even scratch the surface of for another season. Young, needs time, needs to learn the NFL game. I mean, look, we know – I already said two weeks ago who I thought he could be. Yeah. I don't like where he landed, though. But to your point about the Tennessee Titans, I would totally – Well, clear and one more point I would make, too, as far as the case for Levis goes. Think about – think about this. Ryan Tannehill, you know, for for years I had the the Tannehill meter. He was yeah, the thing he was the, that he had to be you. to get paid to be a franchise quarterback. You had to be as good as as Ryan Tannehill. Well, then the last two years Tannehill took a step back. He was not the yes. same quarterback that he used to be, and he fell off the scale. If you're the Tennessee Titans, I don't think that realistically. There should be that much of a difference between Will Levis and Ryan Tannehill. He, he, he's he's going to be worse, more than likely, but is he going to be that much worse? I'd be willing to find out. I would, too, because I think Ryan Tannehill has been bad for two seasons. Yeah. A lot of that's been injuries, too. He's been hurt. But Ryan Tannehill is how old now as well, and you look at it and go, man, it, it, if it was going to happen for Ryan Tannehill moving forward, it would have happened before now. And it has been. It's not going to. Uh, let me see here. Yeah. I just I just look at it and go, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. So. I'm with you there. One more time I want to talk about. Uh, oh, by we... the way, Ryan Tannehill is 34 years old, by the way. Again, if it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. Yeah. Yeah. One more time I want to talk about before we uh, shift gears off the trade front. Arizona, um, this team, they got – we, we talked about the the whole rebuild situation with Tennessee. 
Arizona kind of reminds me of a similar situation. Kyler Murray going to be out most of this upcoming year, coming back from the ACL injury that he suffered towards the end of last season. Um, but that roster is just depleted. I mean, you got basically three good players, Kyler, DeAndre Hopkins, and Buda Baker. That's pretty much it. Otherwise, the cupboards are bare. New head coach, new GM, you are starting over. This year, we know they are going to suck. They're going to be without their quarterback, most uh, as we mentioned. So with that said, if you're Arizona, what are you waiting for at this point? How is DeAndre Hopkins still there? How is Buda Baker still there? And both those guys don't even want to be there. Yeah, I think you look at it, they should have gotten something for DeAndre Hopkins on draft day. Buda Baker the same way. And then also Zach Ertz is someone you can get a decent draft pick for. Th- those guys, you've got to make some decisions there because, look, they're going in there with Colt McCoy or Jeff Driscoll, a quarterback right now. You know, and, and I don't think that – I don't think either of those guys are going to keep them competitive. They don't pass our old Ryan Tannehill test. You know, I think, do we call it the Dak Prescott test now? Yeah. That's what we refer to on my podcast, the Dak Prescott. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they're going to be better with Kyler Murray's back. But that ain't till what, maybe week 13 or 14? They're going to be out of it by then. It's October, November? I mean, so why don't you go ahead and make a deal, get Hopkins out there, get everything you can before he's got less value. He has less value at the end of the season. And free up cap space, too. Yes. I mean, make the deal now. The Arizona Cardinals are so poorly run, and their GM is just an unmitigated disaster on and off the field. I wouldn't trust that guy to run a Dairy Queen. I'm I'm sorry. I. Yeah, and for a guy that hasn't even been there that long either, I mean, yeah. uh, it's it's been a mess for Arizona. And then, you know, their head coach. Uh, so Michael Bidwell uh, is the you know, chairman, president of the team. Monte Austin Fort is their new GM. And then Jonathan Gannon, their head coach, hasn't even coached a game yet, and he's been a disaster already. I mean, doesn't want to speak to the media um has been shying away from events um at every turn sounded like the eagles were glad he he left um the arizona cardinals we know that they're going to have the uh the texans pick they very well might end up with you know the the first two picks of the entire draft without even trying i think the texans are gonna be a decent team i think what they've done has been really good i think i think improved I think they only reproved. I think the Texans did, just to kind of give you a, a quick thing on it. I don't think it's a top five pick. I think that's why it was so brilliant what they did. But the Cardinals will have two top half for the first round. Sure. So, and you might be near the near the tippy top with your own pick. So have a strategy, be ready. And you might be able to flip something with your Andre Hopkins. You're not gonna get a one by any means, but well, if you can get a two. You can get something that gives you some wiggle room on draft day next year to add another piece because they got to add depth. Right. That that's one of the worst rosters in the NFL. I still don't. I'm still not a big believer in Kyler Murray, but but he's stuck, and they're stuck with him because of the contract. So right. I look at it that way and just go, man, this is what I'd do. I mean, I 
I think you guys start getting pieces around him, but it doesn't do you even an ounce of good to keep DeAndre Hopkins. Next right. year, he's 31. He ain't staying. He's going to force his way out one way or the other. Do it now. Yeah. yeah. Who's on draft day? Who's on draft day and going to got a player on draft day? Yeah. Uh, we'll shift gears to college football in a moment. Before we do, one quick note. Uh, the bridge of sorts, tr- college and NFL. Uh, XFL championship was this past weekend. Bob Stoops' team, the Renegades, won the title. XFL, first year on the Rock. Ratings were pretty solid throughout the year. They had a nice TV contract with ESPN where ESPN was actually paying them. USFL was off to a decent start this year. Their ratings are good. Bo, uh, spring football had such a bad track record for track record for so long. And so far in a 2023, it looks like we're starting to see some success. Finally, some stability. Yeah. You know what I think part of it is, is that, um, you know, the last iterations of the XFL and the USFL got interrupted by COVID and they were doing well. I think now because there's lowered expectations on ratings across the board that now we've got to get, we have to have events to fill to fill space that the USFL, really the XFL we're talking about, can fill that. And they're going to have good ratings, and they've done a fairly good job. Um, there's been quite a few of these XFL players who have now signed NFL deals. Yes. I, think I saw a list of a, of a dozen or so. Um, and those guys will have plenty of time to be rest, rested up and fresh by yeah. training camp. Yeah, so, I mean, it's – and a couple of them are already in mini camps. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, it's something now where you look at it and go, okay, yeah, this is this is good for football. And again, it, it, as long as your expectation isn't we're going to compete with the NFL, that was one of the biggest mistakes the old USFL made in the eighties. If you haven't seen it, there's a great ESPN thirty for thirty on that um, about how that league got screwed over with. One particular owner, we're not going to get into who that was. Um, His hair is orange. And um, that they were trying to then compete with the NFL. You just can't do that. So be in partnership. You know, don't say we want to, you know, beat the NFL. No, what we really need is to, you know, say we want to be a feeder system to that. And be able to fill you know, whether it's time on ESPN or Fox Sports or or even Fox, and then to fill, you know, space and programming on some of these um, on some of these systems that are out there, that's what it's all about. So it, it's just different expectations, and that's why it's going to work, I think. I think the XFL did a really, really good job. And I anticipate the USFL is going to do a decent job as they, they finish up they're getting to their season. The issue they have is theirs is too close to the NFL season now. Right. They wrap up in July, like 4th of July. Yeah, weekend, that's going to be tough because you really do want players to feed into the NFL. And to go from one season right into the next is a tough deal. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, what I wonder is, uh, you know, with both leagues, they had some crossover. They went on at the same time. And um, the, the big success that – that both ESPN and Fox and NBC have found with the XFL and USFL has been to put it on after uh, other sporting events or other programming that has been able to, you know, hold together a decent audience uh, as, you know, filler programming in that front. What I wonder, can these two leagues 
coexist going forward, or are we going to see one get run out of town or a merger eventually? What do, what do you think is the end game here? My guess is one wins and one loses. My guess is the XFL wins and the USFL loses. I know that the USFL has a bigger partnership with, uh, I guess it's the NBC and Fox, isn't it? Yeah, Fox owns the league, yeah. Yeah. I, the issue is that it's too close to the NFL season. That, to me, is going to be an issue. And their their attendance is a lot worse Yeah, than the XFL. Yeah, I think that the the XFL I think did it right with you know um you know being who they are and saying hey what we want is to help people succeed and go to the next level. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Uh a merger would uh would be interesting if you could find a way to have a 16 team spring league here. That's too big. I think the way they've got it now with eight teams is perfect. Because when you start getting 16, then you're thinning out your your fan bases. Yeah. You're not going to fill up as many stadiums. You you focus on the stadiums and the cities you know can get by. And then go from there. You know, I give it five years and then think about expanding it a little bit. Plus, also, is there that many good enough players? That's going to be an issue. So far, the both leagues I thought have looked pretty good this year. So yeah, I haven't watched the USFL at all. So I just yeah. Well, now uh, now Bob Stoops is on his way to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, getting that uh, that championship. You know, I mean, <laughs> his second year at <laughs> the XFL wins the championship. Second year, you know, college football he won a championship. Uh, Renegade fans, I, I'm I'm just going to apologize for the next twenty years in advance. You know, it's Dude, he's he is something <laughs> special. I've always been a Bob Stoops fan. He. Um, I think he is just criminally underrated as a coach. I know that the big knock on him for a long time was couldn't win a big game. That dude has been a great football coach for a very, very long time. They they were a four and six team. He trades for a quarterback midseason, and that guy led him the rest of the way to beat the top two teams in the league. I mean, uh, just brilliant on uh, Bob Stoops' part and uh it's a damn shame we never got to see him coaching the nfl uh, i think he would have been a very good nfl coach i and there's a couple of times where i thought he was going to be the coach of the cowboys it would have been well how cool would that have been he'd have been a great coach of the dallas cowboys yeah yeah his name came up for the browns and the jags a few times too and yeah uh something else for sure i think the falcons uh, at one point looked at him as well yeah yeah exactly bo uh moving on to uh college football uh let's start with the acc uh, so, Brett McMurphy earlier this week put out a report that Clemson, Florida State, Miami, North Carolina, North Carolina State, Virginia, and Virginia Tech are referring to themselves as the Magnificent Seven, <laughs> which is kind of a joke in its own self, um, and that the schools have met and they've been discussing with their lawyers for a number of months how to break potentially their grant of rights, which runs through the 2030s, I think like 2038 or something like that, um, in addition to their TV contract. And what I find fascinating, you know, as they meet and try to figure out a plan to break this grant of rights and potentially dissolve the ACC as a whole, the blueprint is already out there, Bo. Oklahoma and Texas, we're in a 99-year grant of rights agreement with the Big 12 where they were going to have to pay $120 million to leave the league. And each of them ended up getting out of their grant of rights, 
got out of their granite rights deals very, very early uh, and only walked away having to pay $60 million. If those schools want out, it can be done. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that it's – you can get out of those – you can get out of any contract if you try hard enough. And I think that there's already a roadmap to do it. Um, the ACC, the grant of rights issues they've got is with this, you know, they call it the Magnificent Seven. They gotta, they're gonna overplay their hand, in my view. It, it's the ACC has got this long contract already, they already kind of they're behind the eight ball on with their media rights. And then when you look at it that way, they got the media rights piece, these teams are locked into that, but. The issue becomes, can they break the conference? They're going to have to get one more vote. And the issue becomes... And Notre Dame could be that vote. Yeah. How can you get all eight teams to go somewhere together? Or are these two, are these seven and then an eighth possible? You're going to need that eighth vote. Can they figure out a way to where four go one place and four go another, and it's acceptable to all eight parties? Because if – I think you had mentioned it a little bit earlier before we came on. If the idea is those seven teams want a larger share of the pie, that's going to create a precedent where no one wants to join them in the future. And the, these, these conferences are going to have to expand – to be competitive in the future. They're going to have to go to 16 teams. They're going to have to go maybe even to 20 at some point. To me, those seven teams, they're going to have to – I don't know how they're going to take – if we four go in one place, you know, if four were to go to Big Ten and four were to go to the SEC, can they all agree? Because those teams that are going to the to Big Ten might get a bigger payoff. And the ones going to the big to the SEC, or what if well, somebody wanted to go to the Big Twelve? You know, we don't know what that payoff might be yet. Getting everybody to agree to break the media rights for the good of everybody isn't necessarily going to happen. But if it does, then you got to make sure you land somewhere. You better have that plan before you vote to break the media rights. Well, and 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 think about this too. One thing that's different about them in their situation is. It is in the best interest of ESPN if the ACC holds together. ESPN's only have to pay $17 million a year for each school in the ACC, and they got that deal locked up for two decades. ESPN, I saw an interview with John Skipper with uh, with Lepitard a while back, and John basically was sitting there basically admitting, yeah, we knew at the time we got away with a pretty dang good deal for us uh, yeah. when they made that deal. And ESPN, you have the ACC network, which they own, this bargain buy that they have with the with uh, with these schools here. It's not like it does the the ESPN any good if, if Florida State, Clemson, or whoever goes to the SEC – or for that matter, if some of these schools go to the Big Ten, who they're not partnered with at all, that's a huge hurdle I think they're going to have to deal with is ESPN wants the ACC to stay intact. They might even be willing to throw out more cash potentially to keep the ACC yeah. intact. That's what I think the ACC has to hope for, 
is that they can put together something with the granted media rights and say, okay, we'll stay together because either you're going to get nothing or you're going to have to this, renegotiate this deal. Um, yeah, I, I, it's going to be interesting. There's still a lot, a lot of moving parts in this piece. If I were to guess, Boa, of these seven, of, of their potential futures, here, here's what I would be thinking. Uh, Clemson and Florida State seem like they 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 really want badly in the SEC and would be natural fits in the SEC. I think Miami yeah. would have the choice between the Big Ten or the SEC, either one. North Carolina, probably the same thing. I think they would probably have the choice between the Big Ten or the SEC. NC State, I don't know why either league would want NC State. I don't even know if the Big 12 would want NC State, quite frankly. I think Louisville would be better than NC State. Virginia also might have the might have the choice, probably preference Big Ten over SEC. And then Virginia Tech, I don't, I don't see getting into either league. They, they would probably be destined for the Big 12. What do you think of those seven schools and their potential futures if they were to leave the ACC? I think that – I think Florida State and Miami would try to stay together. I do. I think that I, I see Miami as a better fit in the SEC than in the Big than the Big Ten. Um, it would be a better fit in the Big Ten if Notre Dame was in the Big Ten because it's a natural rival. Otherwise, you've got Miami going to the SEC with Florida State, and you've already got Florida. Uh, to me, that makes more sense. I think the SEC should go for Clemson, Florida State, Miami, and North Carolina. I think that's the four you go for, and, and because they're going to build us around football, and those are the football schools of those four. Um, now the Big Ten's more attractive at this point because of the media rights deals, but what we don't know is if the rights deals that the Big Ten has with Peacock and boy, if I want to say it's a Fox, if it increases. By um, the same by each remaining team, each new team. If I remember correctly, I don't quote me as the gospel on this. I want to say that the deal with Peacock gave a certain amount of money for each additional team, but it says who they are, like it spells it out. Notre it Dame would do more than everybody else. Miami might get more than some others. They put a value um, but, based on the schools. Yeah, yeah. A, a value based on each school. Um, I think that's what the Big Ten has done. I know that. I, I think I remember hearing that about the deal with NBC. I'm sure Fox's deal is like that. I too. think it was for all parties involved. The CBS yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think on ESPNs, it's simple with, with the SEC, it's pro rata. So it's if you join, it's like you're getting a full share. We're just going to add on that share. Right. So that's where it's going to come down a little difference. And that's where, again, those, as you, you turn to the Magnificent Seven, you better have a plan on where you're going to land before you go. You better know where the target is before you jump out the goddamn plane. Right. Um, You know, this whole talk of it looks like it's a power two, Big Ten and SEC, and then the fight to be that third conference. The Pac-12's got their issues. The ACC obviously has some big issues right now. Is the Big 12 in the driver's seat? Of what's left, yes. Because, pardon me, 
the um the Pac-12 is a disaster right now. They don't know whether the I mean they don't know whether the shit in the woods or try to make it to a porta potty. Um they they really don't have a good idea where they're going. And it's one of those who's gonna make the first are they gonna either they're either gonna sign a meteorites deal or put the conference back together, but they gotta have someone go, something's gotta happen first. And the, the schools are all waiting for someone to come in and save the day on media rights. They're going to end up on Apple TV. They're going to end up exclusively on Apple TV, like the MLS. And they're going to be a Friday night and Saturday afterthought, if you ask me. Uh, the worst thing that happened to the Pac-12 was losing the uh, was losing USC, UCLA. It was just horrible. Then you get the Big 12, who they've already got a deal in place. They had, they're pretty stable with their numbers. They've got teams coming in, and even though they're losing Texas and Oklahoma, the schools coming in have all got big-name brands. You may not look at BYU or UCF and go, those are big names. But you know what they are? They're huge alumni bases. And that's what they're going to be able to hold on to with that. Um, That's going to create some stability in the numbers game alone. And then you add Houston to that too. Houston could also got one of the top five top five markets. Again, you're going to have some stability in there. Right now, the Big 12 is in a better position. The ACC, because of the length of the rights they're in right now, they're not in a good spot to kind of renegotiate. So to me, yeah, I mean, the Big 12 is the one who's going to win out. And we wouldn't have thought this even 18 months ago. We wouldn't no. have thought. I, I think 18 months ago, we all thought the Pac-12 was going to win this. But USC and UCLA, when they made that announcement, it buried them. Yeah, because they were caught off guard and haven't come up with a, a plan of action since. Yeah. And yeah, in, in, in the Pac-12's case, I, I think your, your best case scenario is, is some type of merger or agreement with the ACC. I think that's kind of your... Your, your last hope to, to turn this into anything worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's going to be interesting. I, and, and I agree with you hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, we'll see uh, ultimately what happens. Um, also in the, uh, the, the college sports front, uh, Bo, uh, the EA sports uh, NCAA college football video game. We knew it was in the works of coming back. We know for sure it's coming back next year. Now, and uh, some details have emerged that they uh, are working with a company to uh, get every single college football player in the game and get paid. Um, and in order to be in the game, you have to uh, sign off and you know take a paycheck uh, to be in this game. You know to avoid another Ed O'Bannon situation um, in in that whole ordeal. About 120 schools have signed on. Still waiting for a few more others, including Notre Dame here. Uh, Bo, a lot of legal work on uh, EA Sports's end to try to make this happen. It looks like it's finally coming to fruition here. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, the lawyers are working working hard to get this taken care of. That many individual contracts, and then, you know, they have to figure out how you pay them all. That's the other piece is, you know, who gets paid what? That's going to be another piece. I, I just I mean, wonder, there's a lot of 
if you're a third string offensive lineman, you're kind of just hoping for a free copy of the game, right? Yeah, you're hoping for yeah, you hope for a gift card, an Amazon gift card. I mean, I don't know. I but if you're Caleb Williams, you know, you get to cover. How yeah. much do you get for that? You know? Right. That that's gonna be an interesting. It's gonna be interesting to see how that all works. Yeah. Well, and then like hearing Notre Dame hold out on this, I'm like, you know, it, it should. I understand maybe if you have some some legal hesitations, Bo. I, I I understand that to an extent, considering that you know Ed O'Bannon sued last time and won. Um, but if you're trying to get high school recruits and win these players over and make your brand attractive. Wouldn't you want to be right in their faces with the video game they're playing? Yeah, absolutely. And to figure out how do you best put that all together? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's I don't I don't know how recruiting with it is going to be different. You know, I it's getting to where I was talking about this earlier today. Recruiting is a whole different animal now than NIL. Yeah, it's not going to be fringe benefits anymore. Not going to be, oh, you get to be in a video game. Or, oh, you get to go to this place or that place or do this. It's going to be cash. Right. And I wonder how that's going to work. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I, I There's still a lot of this that I'm trying to fill out, and I don't know how they're going to get a lot of this done. I they, They're going to. I mean, there's a lawyer, there's a way. But... We'll figure it out. <laughs> Where there's a lawyer, there's a way. Uh, that's that's very well said uh, uh, on that front. And you know, I, I had a had a debate with uh, with Danny Cannell a couple of years ago on Twitter about this. Uh, Bo, uh, I don't know if I've told you this story, but we were debating the NCAA video game and and how it could work in the NIL era. And, and I said that you know he he tried to argue that there's not enough money which is just funny in itself to be able to pay the players and still make this video game. And in bowl, th- this game, I-, I don't know if, how much a gamer you are or anything like that, but there's been such a demand for this the last 10 years that it's been without. I have said myself, like the last game system I got is an Xbox 360. If this game comes out, I'm buying whatever new system it is, like a PlayStation or Xbox, whatever. If the game costs me $100, I don't care. I'll pay for it. I got to have this game and play and get my college football game back. And I feel like a lot of people are in that same boat. They they could charge $150 maybe. Like there is is a price to make this work to be profitable. Yeah, the most expensive video game of all time. Um, Yeah, there is a huge market. I'm not a huge game, but I can recall – this game, when I was in college, was huge. And I played video games back then. Um, but, yeah, everybody wanted to be in it. And everybody wanted to play it. And, you know, it was it's a different animal. I think, and again, I, I go back to this and I go, how do you figure it out? I don't know, but they will. Right. Because there's money to be made. There's money to be made. Someone's going to figure out how to make it. Right. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Uh, whether Danny Cannell says so or not, you know, we'll, we'll, this uh, this video game is going to happen. So uh, I'm excited about it. We'll see uh, how it all unfolds. Uh, do you think 
you know, the way that O'Bannon lawsuit went down, you know, he, he filed at 09 and, and everything that was made of it. Um, I mean, the, the guys in the suit, <laughs> their, their reward was like less than $60 that they all got. That was do- divided up between all those players. Do you think if they yeah. had to do it over again uh, at O'Bannon and Company, they would have done that the, the way knowing the result worked out the last Ed 10 years? Lost, well, Ed O'Bannon's lawsuit was not about money. It was about holding the NCAA responsible. It was about saying, and what Ed O'Bannon's, Ed O'Bannon's lawsuit led to NIL. Let's not get it twisted. I mean, that was the first shot fired in the, we're employees not your slaves. Yeah. And th- that was the first shot. And now this many years, it was 09 that that got filed. We're in 2023. So 14 years later. Yeah. It wasn't about every player making, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. It was about, you can't use my name without me saying so. You can't use my name, image, and likeness. Unless I get something out of it. And that's what, again, that's what led to NIL. I think that if they had to go back, Ed O'Bannon would have definitely done it again. Because what it did is it led to where we're at now. And there's a lot of people that don't like where we're at now. But those people aren't players. Right. And players do like where we're at now. Because it's fair and equitable to them. Because I remember, like, uh, Greg McElroy saying that he regretted being a part of that lawsuit because he felt like that game got taken away from people that he rather would have, you know, that game continue than get a $60 check. Well, if you're looking at it, you're looking at it through the wrong set of eyes if you're looking at it that way. Again, it's bigger than just the check you're getting. It's about what it led to. Yeah. It's about where it was leading. Yeah. And Greg McElroy can say that all he wants. Greg McElroy didn't grow up not having anything. Right. I mean, he, he came from a you know nice suburban white class, <laughs> you know, white high dollar class, you know, high class life. Of course, 60 bucks means nothing to him. And it's not about the money, it's about the precedent. Right. It's about saying we're standing up and we we have as much rights as anybody else as student athletes. Yeah. Because they don't have an option. Your rules don't allow me to go make this money somewhere else. These rules, you know, they don't have a seat at the bargaining table. And since they don't have a seat at the bargaining table, then you're going to use my rights. Well, I'm getting something out of it. Right. And that may not be, and it, you know, again, it wasn't a lot of money, but what it was was setting the precedent moving forward. Yeah. Remember a few years ago, there was talk, there was teams, and I don't remember which championship game, but it was one of the football championship games where even like two nights before, there were players from both teams getting together in a hotel going, let's not play on Monday. Let's just not play. And let's tell them, hey, you want, you want this money? Give us our share. Right. And, you know, that, that's a powerful message. And that's what Ed O'Bannon's lawsuit was. It was, yeah. the, it was the first message. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, Bo, appreciate the time as always. Check out O'Connor Advisor Group, OAGcast.com, O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com for more. What's on the podcast this week? Hey, we got we jumped into um, some of the John Morant stuff. Um, I kind of have a unique opinion on this John Morant stuff. I kind of have two minds about it. Uh, and I kind of went back and forth on a couple of things. I think you'll find it interesting. Um, we also talked about the epidemic in Major League Baseball. We've already been approved that the epidemic in the NBA was real. The Warriors are out. You can't play basketball that way and win. And uh, now there's a new one in baseball that, I, that we're going to talk a little bit about. And then we just jump around on a couple different things this week. So it's it's a fun. We even got into the McAfee stuff and McAfee and Brett Favre as well. So uh, we jumped into a lot of different stuff, had a lot of fun with it. So that'll be out on uh, Thursday. Looking forward to Same it. Same day. Yes, looking forward to it. Uh, Bo, we'll uh, talk in next week. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you so much, Tyler. You have a great weekend. Final segment before we go. It's our Tom Fuglery story of the week where we tell you something ridiculous happening in the world. This time we're uh, headed to California. Uh, this story from uh, Fox Business uh, goes as follows. In a viral TikTok video that has received more than 1.5 million views, a Bay Area, California kindergarten teacher claims to have hatched chicks from eggs she bought from a Trader Joe's grocery store. Did you know you could hatch eggs from Trader Joe's? Alice Bowie asked her viewers under the handle Alice uh, Kalen. I bought these fertile eggs to test it out. In her video, Bowie noted that she was incubating eggs for her classroom students and decided to include nine eggs she bought at Trader Joe's from other farm fresh eggs. She marked the Trader Joe's eggs TJ so she could tell the difference. Wait, we waited 21 days to be exact, she said in a voiceover on TikTok. We checked in on them along the way until finally they hatched. Three of our fluffy yellow chickies came from Trader Joe's. She reported that only one-third of them hatched, but considered it a positive outcome since she did not know where they came from, how long they'd been refrigerated, or how they were handled during transport. Um, Fox News Digital reached out to Bowie and to Trader Jones for comment. Bowie provides video coverage of the process from the labeling and placing eggs into an incubator to the yellow chicks hatching from what the video perpetrates to be the same eggs. Can you believe these guys came from a cart? She asked her audience. The responses ranged from disgust to disbelief. This has to be a joke, one person commented. Now I'll never eat eggs again, said another. I used to hide grocery store eggs under my grandma's bed, hoping they'd hatch, another viewer said. From the majority of these comments, the video may have solved the egg shortage crisis still, another viewer said. In a follow-up video, Bowie responded to commenters from the point of view of one of her hatchlings. Appears that you, some of you think my life is a joke, the voiceover states. So now you're forcing me to come on here and defend myself. Yes, I really did come from a Trader Joe's egg. It's possible, but generally not possible, to hatch an egg purchased in a grocery store, according to an article published by the Michigan State University Agriculture Extension Office. During their exportation of chicken... Uh, youth learn that it, for a chicken to develop from an egg, it must be fertilized, the article states. Most eggs sold commercially in grocery stores are from poultry farms and have not been fertilized. In fact, laying hens 
at most commercial farms have never even seen a rooster. In a YouTube video posted on February 20th, 2022, the owner of the account, the Homestead Trail, posted a video saying, after trail and error in regard to egg purchasing, she hatched a chick from an egg bought at Trader Joe's. Well, here to show you it's possible, the video description reads, we hatched a chick out of a Trader Joe's egg, despite all the odds stacked against us. Join us on this fun experiment incubating a grocery store egg. In an email statement, Brittany, the owner of the Homestead Trail in Indiana, addressed the YouTube video that's been viewed more than 159,000 times. Yes, we really did hatch a chick from Trader Joe's egg, she wrote to Fox Business. As the egg industry moves away from the battery cages to more humane practices like pastured raised free-ranging on small family farms, it's becoming increasingly possible for a rooster to be in the flock, which could result in fertilized eggs ending up in the garden. Brittany added that there is an active Facebook group called Hatching Store-Bought Eggs, which is dedicated to incubating various egg brands. Happy Egg Company is another brand that a lot of people have had success hatching from. The odds are small, but it's a really fun experiment to try. So, um, I got to tell you, here's one of the reasons why I brought up this story. I have, for years, in the back of my mind, always had this fear of what what if, you know, when I go to the grocery store, they grab the wrong eggs and put, put them in the carton, the, the ones that, that weren't fertilized. What if I open up my egg and a chick comes out of it? I thought I was getting scrambled eggs and I got a live animal on my hands here. That's a thought that I've had for years. What what if that mistake happens and, and they screw up there? And, and apparently that's a reality now here. I mean, obviously these people were kind of excited about it, so I guess it worked out for them. But, I mean, somebody like me, you know, I live... I live outside downtown Dallas. You know, if I'm just trying to make eggs, what the hell am I supposed to do with a chick that hatches from eggs? Uh, that, that, that I'm going to tell you right now, that's not going to end well. That's not going to work. And, you know, Trader Joe's, good company. Got no issues with Trader Joe's. But, I mean, let, let's be real with y'all here. If I'm going to Trader Joe's and getting eggs... I'm not expecting Trader Joe's to have this issue where I'm getting chicks coming out of eggs. You know, if if, if it one thing, if I was getting the, the store-bought brand at the at the, the local, you know, country mart or something like that, you know, or or uh, you know Don and Duddy's, you know, bargain outlet, that'd be one thing. But Trader Joe's having this issue? That, that, that is bizarre to me that that's occurring, that that's going on. I mean, like, what are you supposed to do with that chick at that point then, if it comes out? You know, if you get a live animal when you were supposed to be having, you know, eggs and bacon for breakfast, I, that, that, that to me is, is almost terrifying. Like, I, I mean, do I want to go buy eggs now? I mean... Or should I just go ahead and go to the Waffle House? Maybe that's the lesson learned in all this, folks. Um, is just go to the Waffle House and let them figure it out. The Waffle House 
has never let me down. You know, there's been times where I've been to the Waffle House at two o'clock in the morning and, and it just hits different. And you go to the Waffle House at 2 a.m., you get your eggs and bacon, you get that all-star scramble, you get that hot coffee, you, you go piss on the trash can, you know, outside, and then you go to wherever you need to go after that. I mean, that's a that's a good night in paradise, uh, you know, go, making that late night run to the Waffle House. That's, that's living, as they say. You know, and, and you, you haven't, you also haven't lived unless you've had an, an experience, a story to tell at the Waffle House. Now, maybe the next story at the Waffle House is going to be that, you know, the, the, the person cooking behind the counter with the eggs ends up with a, a chick that they open with out of the egg. Maybe that's the next story they tell. But, I mean, when you go to the Waffle House, you, you got to have some crazy stuff go down. You know, I've had... You know, some guy that worked there come up to me in the past and asked me if I wanted to try his secret sauce. And I'm like, um, no, I don't think I want that type of secret sauce, my guy. Uh, I think I'll pass on that. You know, I've been, you know, handed food with a woman that had all her teeth missing and was wearing an eye patch before. No judge. As long as the food's good, that's what matters. I mean, you got to have some stories to tell. This might be the next revelation in the great stories that is the Waffle House. When we get like Trader Joe's and the Waffle House come together and make this next story happen, and it's going to be the best crossover event of the century. We got something right there. Or as far as I know, it might just happen in my kitchen next time I'm making eggs here. Probably not going to Trader Joe's buy eggs anytime soon. Probably not. Probably just uh, gonna stay away from that, but you never know. Maybe you too. Next time you're opening up a, a carton of eggs, you end up with a baby chick. Maybe you decide you want to keep that baby chick, and you got something in mind for it of some sorts. Who knows? I'm not about that life. But that'll do it for Tom Fullery this week. Um, big thanks, to Omar Ruiz, for joining us. Uh, Omar's a rock star. Uh, great seeing him at the Final Four, sharing his story, uh, running on the court and all that. That was, that was something else. Uh, Coach Bo, as always, for joining us, sharing his thoughts, his perspective, and doing a great job, as always. And you, the listener, more than anything else, it is always my honor, my duty, my privilege to bring you this show each and every week. And uh, I encourage you to subscribe to the show for new episodes out on uh, Spotify. Apple, Google Podcasts, leave us a five-star review, or don't leave us one at all. Hit me up on uh, social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Tyler Jones Live. Twitter and uh, Facebook, Studio Soapbox, Instagram, Jones underscore report. You can find us there. And I shall see you back here next week. Um, We're getting very close to Summer of Jones time, folks. It is going to be a dandy. Buckle up. We're going to D.C. for our first stop in the summer of Jones. Mr. Jones goes to Washington. Get ready for it, folks. Summer of Jones will be here before you know it. Have a great uh, rest of your week. I'll see you next time here on the Jones Report. So long, everybody.